Hello, and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we're going to be going into the Salt and Light archives and pulling out some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2019. We begin by speaking with Peter Kleponis, whose latest book helps couples restore trust after a pornography addiction. And then we celebrate the legacy of the St. Louis Jesuits with beloved liturgical composer Dan Schutte. In our second half hour, children's author Carissa Douglas tells us about the latest installment of the Little Douglings series. These are stories that she writes about her own 13 children. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with Sarah Hart and listen to music from her album, And Lovely It Is. We begin now with a serious conversation on pornography. Five years ago, we spoke with Dr. Peter Kleponis, who explained why pornography is an epidemic. Forty million adults in the United States regularly visit pornographic websites. Forty-seven percent of Christians claim that pornography is a major problem in their home. Many Catholic priests say that very often they hear about pornography addiction in confession. Also, pornography plays a significant role in 56% of divorces. Dr. Kleponis' first book was called Integrity Restored. He is also the creator of the Integrity Starts Here recovery program and a founder member of IntegrityRestored.com. His latest book is Restoring Trust, A Couple's Guide to Getting Past Porn, and it shows that past mistakes and hurts, no matter how deep, do not have to rule your future. With the right tools and relying on God's grace, you can restore trust in your relationship and achieve lasting freedom. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Dr. Peter Kleponis. Doctor, welcome to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, welcome back, I should say. Um, how common is pornography in marriages? Oh, it is It is so common. You know, mo- most people today, young people are, are, you know, have been using porn well before they even got married, and they bring it into the marriage. And um, what would you say pornography does, what would you say pornography does to the marriage? Well, you know, it, it really does a lot of harm to the marriage. First of all, it, it, it harms marital intimacy. Yeah. Uh, you know, now whenever you hear the word intimacy today in the media, people usually think of sex. Yeah. Well, intimacy is not sex. Intimacy is that emotional connection between two people where you know each other thoroughly, backward, forward, inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone wants to find intimacy as into me, see. Right. Yes. You want to have this deep, strong intimacy in a marriage. You cannot have that intimacy if someone is hiding a deep, dark secret, or if someone is doing something that has really hurt and betrayed their their spouse. Right. You're not going to have that. So, so from just just the very start of of using pornography, it's going to harm the marital intimacy. Right. Um, we also know that I mean, according to the church, it is a form of adultery. Right. Of course. Right. And and. You know, a lot of men don't realize this. They think, oh, this is just images on a computer screen. No, these are other people. Yeah, which is why and a lot... Also, yeah, sorry, I was going to say a lot of wives will feel that they've been betrayed. I mean, exactly. it, it, it destroys trust in the marriage. Exactly. It destroys that trust. You know, to women, these aren't just images. These are other women. Right. And it really hurts and makes them, you know, feel hurt and betrayed, you know. And, of course, excessive pornography use can lead to 
adultery with an actual person. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. very exactly. vulnerable to that, you know. And of course, you know, wives are particularly hurt by this. Um, we have a name for it. It's called betrayal trauma. Okay. Uh, they they feel so hurt and betrayed and wounded by this. Oftentimes, the symptoms are actually similar to post traumatic stress disorder. Huh. Interesting. So the wounding is extremely deep. Yeah. Coming from pornography. Now, maybe I don't know if it, it's worse now, but is it more and more common that women are also struggling with pornography? Much more common. We know today that over a third of all visitors to internet pornography websites are women. Hmm. You know, so this, uh, this kind of you know equal opportunity addiction here it, it's become where a lot of women you know because they see men using it they think well why should why women should be I? able to use porn yeah and is and so they're they're getting addicted to it too and is it common or more common that couples are maybe consuming pornography together? There are you know there are couples that actually will view it together. Uh, you know, not realizing that that the of the devastating effects this is having on the marriage. So, if they're consu- if let's say if they're viewing it together, the the betrayal issue is not there. Would those feelings still be there? Just that the woman maybe, or the I don't know, maybe I don't know, the man maybe also goes through those feelings that they're not good enough, that they have to, you know, what sorts of effects would it have on the marriage if they're viewing it together? All right. Exactly. And for, first of all, this is going to have an impact on the type of sex that they have because the sex in pornography is very rough and in many times violent. Mm-hmm. And so, and this is what happens. The man thinks, well, this is what sex should be like and, right. and my wife should like it, even though it is very dangerous and, and can be very painful for the woman. Mm-hmm. And the woman is left thinking, well, if this is what sex is, I, I have to learn how to like this and enjoy it when right. most of the time they don't enjoy that. Um, another thing is that, you know, uh, as the woman gets older, it's going to be more painful because naturally her body is going to be changing, mm-hmm. especially if she has children and so forth. And of course, the women in pornography are always young and always have the perfect body. Right. So as they get older, you know, there was a study done that found about 39% of young women saw nothing wrong with their boyfriends or husbands doing pornography. And they wonder, why is this? Well, first of all, they are viewing it, too. Right. But second of all, it was a matter of competition. Mm. These young women saw these young porn stars and thought, well, I can compete with that. I have nothing to worry about. Right. Like, well, now, wait till these young women are in their 40s, and the women in porn are still in their 20s. That's where mm. they're really going to feel the pain of, of being compared and feeling rejected right. by their husband. Now, the, the way you've structured the book, the, there's a lot of stories and I and I mm-hmm. and I understand why you would have shared stories um, but I'm intrigued by the way by the reflections that you've shared um, or you're inviting people to enter into certain reflections or make certain reflections why did you choose to structure it that way well you know first of all the stories I wanted to put things in there that people could relate to mm-hmm. And I've gotten a lot of, of positive feedback. You know, the, the stories that I put in there, some of them are actual stories where I have changed the names. Others mm-hmm. are amalgamations of, of different couples that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. So, and then the reflections in there, are you talking about the, the questions? The questions, sorry, yeah, the, the questions, questions for reflection. There, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I want people to really to stop and think about this. Uh, you know, naturally, if someone is reading this book, it's probably because... Pornography has affected their life and their marriage in some way. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and I want them to really think about this, how it's affecting their marriage. But also, I wanted to leave them with a sense of hope that, you know, even in the worst situation, a marriage can be healed and restored. It will take time, and it will take effort and, and a daily commitment to it, but I believe that God wants to heal and restore all marriages that are hurt this way. Is is pornography the kind of thing that, no matter who, what level of involvement uh, there is, that it requires some personal healing as well as a couple's healing? Or is this something that couples need to do as a couple only? Does it, uh, does it matter, or are there does it depend on the circumstance? Well, well, it depends on both. For, for each spouse, there is individual healing that needs to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, for the spouse that is addicted to pornography, there's a lot of deep healing because the roots of pornography addiction often go back to childhood and are based on some deep emotional wounds. Right. Um, you know, oftentimes they're not even aware they have these wounds, but mm-hmm. they're there. Mm-hmm. And what happens with most people is they're they're introduced to pornography, usually in late childhood or early adolescence, and, uh, you know, there's this little voice deep down inside that says, hey, this is a great escape. Mm-hmm. This makes us forget all of our problems. Let's keep going back to this. Right. So from now on, any time we're sad or scared or bored or lonely or angry or frustrated, we're going to go back to this because this is the express train to pleasure. Yeah, like any you know, addiction. Are, are, yeah. Yeah. Are they aware they doing it? No. All they know is they like to look at porn. But this is, a, this is where we get the term self-medicating. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of deep personal uh, healing that needs to happen for them in their personal recovery program mm-hmm. for this. For the offended spouse who is dealing with that betrayal trauma, there's a lot of individual healing that they need to go through. Mm-hmm. You know, They need to be able to sit down with a the therapist who's going to understand what they're going through, who's going to validate their feelings, who's going to be able to listen to them, to walk with them through this painful period and really, you know, bring them to a place of, of deep personal healing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this has to happen even before we can start into, you know, the working, marital healing. Working with the couple together. Um, exactly. And of course, I don't want to um, imply that, because a huge part of what you're uh, offering here as part of the recovery has to do with God's grace and how God plays a role in all this. How How important is it to recognize that the problem is also a spiritual problem? Okay. Well, you have to realize that, you know, you know, one of the ways that Satan tries to attack our society yeah. is by attacking good marriages. Mm-hmm. Satan does not want to have good marriages. You know, and even the Blessed Mother said, you know, the downfall of men would be sins of the flesh. Yes. So there is a spiritual battle here that's going on. And one of the ways that Satan really attacks marriages is, is not only with the pornography addiction, but also with the shame that people feel because of it. Hmm. The addicted person feels a lot of shame because he's become an addict. The spouse feels a lot of shame because she's in a marriage with a, a man who's addicted to pornography. Mm-hmm. You know, who can she talk to about this? She, mm-hmm. She's just so ashamed and mortified by it. So these are some of the ways that, that Satan really attacks us. So we have to realize, okay, there is a spiritual battle here, but you know, God provides us his love and his grace and his healing. Yeah, with all this, and and God has to be a part of the healing process. Right. So there's there's this book, restoring trust. There are other books, yours and of other people. But do you would you recommend that if anybody is struggling, anybody listening to this program right now, they might be feeling that they need help. The book is not enough. They need to seek help. Well, yeah. The the the, the book is not the answer. The book is just provides a roadmap 
for the healing process. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I recommend for anybody who has been hurt because of pornography, whether the person is addicted or the person is a spouse, that they seek out professional help. Right. Right, because you really need someone who understands this addiction, understands the effects of it, who can help design a healing and recovery program that's that's going to work for them. Yeah, and for most people, they, they should be able to find that wherever they live. They can talk to their priest or their deacon or or their Catholic family services or, or any like that, and they can definitely go to your website, integritystored.com, um, to find out more or where they can mm-hmm. find help. Peter, um, th- that's all the time we have right now, but uh, thank you for doing the work that you do. I know it's not easy work, but I, but it's very important work. And I know that when, when we, if I can say use, if I can use the word success, when we, when you find success, it's certainly, uh, um, very fulfilling, not just for us that are helping the couples, but for the couples. So thank you for, for doing what you do. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Dr. Peter Kleponis is a clinical therapist. He has over 18 years of professional experience working with individuals, couples, families, and organizations. He's also a popular speaker and conference director. If you want to find out more about his work, bring him to your parish or to your group. Go to his personal website, peterkleponis.com. That's Kleponis with a K, but I'm going to add that to our site so you can find it easily. Um, His latest book, Restoring Trust, A Couple's Guide to Getting Past Porn, is published by our Sunday visitor, and you can learn more also at that website, integritystored.com. Here now are the St. Louis Jesuits with Turn to Me from the new Oregon Catholic Press collection, Coming Home, A Final Celebration. Your name. 
That was the St. Louis Jesuits with Turn to Me from the new Oregon Catholic Press collection, Coming Home, a Final Celebration. I think that most of you, if you've been to Mass at all in the last 50 years, surely you've heard of the St. Louis Jesuits. If not, you've probably heard most of their songs, Be Not Afraid, Here I Am, Lord, Sing a New Song, One Bread, One Body. There are so many. The St. Louis Jesuits are Bob Dufford, John Foley, Tim Mannion, Rock O'Connor, and Dan Schutte. And recently, they had a reunion concert in St. Louis, Missouri. And joining me now to tell us more is Dan Schutte. Dan, so good to have you back on the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you, Pedro. Thanks for having me. So I'm so jealous because I was not able to be at the concert with you guys. So you have to tell me all about it. What was it like? It was an amazing event. So we... We, first of all, we chose St. Louis. Yeah, of course. Because it was where we began of 50 course. years ago. And so we called it the Coming Home Concert. Yeah. And um, we we uh, put tickets on sale through our stlouisjesuits.com website. Yeah. And Powell Hall about uh, late May or early June. And within a it month, was probably it was sold, sold out. out. Yeah, I know. It's oh. just, Powell Hall is a gorgeous venue, 2,600. Yeah. Mm-hmm. seats mm-hmm. and where the symphony plays in St. Louis. Right. And and so we um the the concert was an amazing event um very uh profoundly moving I think for the five of us. I can Part imagine. of that was knowing that this this was going to be the last time that we would sing mm-hmm. all five of us together. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we're going to stop doing music, but <clears throat> But as, as far as doing yeah. performances like this, where all five of us are present, you know, it'll be the last time. When, when um, would have, sorry to interrupt, when would have been the last time that the five of you were together? We were together about three and a half years ago in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. Did yeah. a concert there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, the experience, first of all, we... Deacon Pedro, we we wanted this coming home concert, this last this last concert, to be less about a focus on the five of us mm. and to be to have it be more celebration of the people. Right. And so we we wanted to make sure that we we had programs with with all the music in, so every so everybody this could is sing yeah. music of the people. It's not meant yeah. for performance. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Meant, meant for participation like we do when we come to church. I can imagine that everybody would have been singing every song. Oh my gosh, yes. It was, it was, it was quite moving. No, that's a... That, yeah. And so, so, so hold on. So for people who, who were not there and they, 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 so did, were you, so the five of you were, were playing, a lot of you play guitar. Did you have musicians playing with you or symphony we musicians? Did. Yeah. We, so there, the, Sort of the the home of our original music was at St. Louis University, the, at the University St. Francis Xavier College Church, yeah. which is only about three blocks uh-huh. from Powell Hall. Yeah, and so we we enlisted the help of the the man uh, Ray Chirac, who's director of music at the College Church, okay. to gather a choir of people of. Uh, it, Singers and instrumentalists. So there was there was what a choir a, of about 120. What a great voices. opportunity! Wow. Yeah. And a, and a small orchestra of uh, probably 15, 18 players. Wow. Many of whom play with the St. Louis Symphony. Uh huh. Um, to to be there with us. So we led with our guitars and and a few and some with piano. But 
Um, yeah. So we had a, a, a grand orchestra and choir there on stage How with wonderful. us. How wonderful. How <laughs> wonderful. And Not to mention the twenty six hundred people. I was going to say, yeah, exactly. Out of the audience singing. that would have been singing. What a what a feeling. Um, we, you you and I we've spoken before about a, a lot of the the music that you've been writing. You're certainly continuing uh, uh, doing liturgical music. But what are some of the other guys doing? How are they doing? How are their health? Um, we're all good so far. Our, our ages span about, let me see, about 12 years. So John Foley, the oldest, oldest. just turned 80 this summer. Oh, my goodness. And he's the only one of the five of us who actually lives in St. Louis. Right. He's he's in the Jesuit community. So he didn't have to travel far, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was was easy for him to do this. He's he's essentially retired, but um, he keeps his finger. I I think he might do some some graduate student program, uh, graduate student, direction of their their uh, degree programs yeah um rock o'connor uh who's the second youngest i'm i'm the middle of the five okay so rock, rock o'connor's the the second youngest is in milwaukee wisconsin uh-huh. and the concert was actually rock's inspiration to begin with and then the rest good. of us you know dove in and agreed that it was a good idea mm-hmm. tim manning who's the youngest lives in seattle uh-huh um I'm presently in San Francisco, and Bob Dufford is at the Jesuit Retreat, Retreat House yeah. in Iowa. It's it's just across the border from uh, Omaha. Yeah. So his his actual community is Creighton University. Right. So he does retreat work, and he just came out with a wonderful new collection of music for the spiritual exercises. Oh, nice! nice. Called um, as Tongues of Fire. Nice. Nice. So you guys are still uh, still active, still doing uh, good work for the church. Um, yeah, you know, like that. You, I just wanted to go back to that idea that you're you're on stage. It must have been wonderful. There's all of the, everybody in the audience is singing all these songs. Um, I've heard you guys described as like the Beatles of liturgical music. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, you are. Uh, That's the, the idea that I mean, there, there's something to do. I mean, you're not writing music to be rich. To, you know, but the idea that people know your songs—I mean, they—they they know your songs more than they know who you are. Maybe like, yes. they don't know who wrote the song. They might not know who the song those Jesuits that's, are. But that's then, very true. They know, Andrew. "Here I am, Lord, be not afraid." Right. Um, what does that feel? What you know? What does that feel? You know, it's—it's like? it, it's this wonderful sense of of of, of God having his hand on us from the very beginning and and doing something with our music that we didn't we didn't plan we didn't set out no. to do this you know and but god taking small steps here and there and, yeah. and our being able and willing to say yes mm-hmm. to god's inspiration um led us to this wonderful story that that god has told through our music mm-hmm. and and as you know, and your listeners probably know, there are so many stories that people have. One of the amazing things of, of this event was having so many people come up to each of us and say, you know, oh my gosh, you know, Be Not Afraid has meant so much to me in mm-hmm. my journey of faith. Mm-hmm. We sang it at my our wedding, yeah. and we sang it at my parents' funerals, and, mm-hmm. and so... It, it 
feels like such a a, a gift and a privileged place to to have in people's lives. Not not for us, you know. You're totally right. A lot of people don't know who Dan Schutte is. No, but they do know. Here I am, Lord. Yeah, of course. And they don't know Bob Duffer, but they do know. Be not afraid. Yeah, and so forth. Yeah, and so it's about the music and and this wonderful story that God chose to tell tell through the five of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that and that in a in a in a funny, strange way, you've been able to be part of important moments in people's lives. Um, yes. Uh, we don't have a lot of time, Dan, but what <laughs> I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh, which is your favorite song? <laughs> Maybe we can stick to the, just the collection. What's in the in the collection of the the that just came out? Yes. Can can you say which is your favorite? The the favorite song of the collection? No, for you. For me, <clears throat> you know, my probably my favorite song is is a song that John Foley sang at the concert. It's oh. on the collection. It's called "A Song of Hope." Oh my goodness! Yeah, and. It's, it's, it's the voice of God singing to people, I know the plans I have for you, plans of fullness, not of harm. So it's, so it's, he called it Song of Hope because it's the song that looks forward to the future that, you know, even, even though the five of us are, are much grayer and some of us are bald and, <laughs> and don't have as much energy as we did back 50 years ago, it's it's about a God who tells this wonderful story of hope, mm-hmm. both through our music, but also in people's lives. You know, yeah. it's 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 about the future and looking forward to um, to what what awaits us in heaven. Yeah, and that's that's a wonderful way to to end because I would say, and that's probably not one of the most well known songs, but I would say no. that all your songs are giving people hope, and for that, Dan. I thank you and and the rest of the guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Deacon Pedro. Thanks for having me. So that song, Song of Hope, can be heard in this new collection album that just was released by Oregon Catholic Press. All the songs are remastered, so it's good good to to get them, and and, uh, you have all the songs in one place. Um, So that's through Oregon Catholic Press. You can... And it's called Coming Home, a Celebration of... A Final Celebration, right? Coming Home, A Final Celebration by Oregon Catholic Press. Thank you, Dan, again, for all that you that you do and, and for what you're going to continue doing, because I'm sure I'll have you back on the program before we know it. I look forward to it. You can learn more about Dan Schutte at, and his music at his website, danschutemusic.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily in case you can't spell Schutte. Um, the St. Louis Jesuits also have a site, stlouisjesuits.com. And of course, you can purchase all their music, not just that collection, through Oregon Catholic Press. Um, here now to take us out, as it happens often at Mass, um, here are the St. Louis Jesuits with all the ends of the earth from the new OCP collection, Coming Home, A Final Celebration.
We're listening to the St. Louis Jesuits with a classic, All the Ends of the Earth, from the OCP collection, Coming Home, A Final Celebration. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check out our website at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Okay, let me see if I get this straight. Six young brothers and sisters go on an adventure that leads them to an encounter with St. Padre Pio, who helps them fight against powers of a dark and looming enemy and teaches them lessons about God's love, forgiveness, and mercy. That's the outline of Mystic Informant, the latest book by author Clarissa Douglas, a story that features the powers of the saints, angels, prayer, and the sacramental. Clarissa Douglas wrote the story based on her real children, well, the six eldest of her 13 children. And to tell us more, I am now joined by Carissa Douglas from her home in Georgina, Ontario. Carissa, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. So happy to be here. I know. See, I had to mention Georgina there because it's just up the up the road from my home. That's right. We're neighbors. Shout out. <laughs> um, so you and your husband, Patrick, have 13 children? Yes, we do. <laughs> and I'm sorry to do that because I think we shouldn't, you know, like it should be normal for for us. Right, right. You know, like and, usually that's the second question, right? How many kids do you have? Oh, I know, are you and, Catholic? And you're <laughs> probably tired of people making a comment, right? And I don't want to be that guy. But I don't mind. It's it's a good it's a good opportunity cuz uh, when they'll say like, "Wow, you have your hands full." I'll be like, "Yeah, a blessing." <laughs> <laughs> but no. Okay, good. but what I'm trying to do is trying to keep their names straight even when I'm reading the book. So, can you just give us their names? Or at if least... I can keep them straight, because I am a mom, <laughs> and when I had two, I had problems keeping their names straight. So, yeah. yes, the, the oldest of the crew is Liam, uh-huh. and then Christian, Alora, Mary, Angelica, Serena, Joachim, and then even the little ones are in the book. They're, yes. They're kind of a little bit of a smaller part, and so they're um, Kiara, the twins, James and Jacinta, and then little Calista, and unfortunately, the, the other two weren't born yet. So okay. we didn't make it in. So there's only 11 kids in the book. Okay, that's right, because you just, you, you. I had just had little You just cows. have, yes. Yeah. Okay, so congratulations. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so the, these, these are your children, and yeah. these are the same kids that are in the story. That's right. Same names. You didn't even change the names. Nah, they would. They would be very disappointed. <laughs> and you and your husband are in the story as well. You didn't change your husband's name either. I didn't. And and my name, strangely, I, I couldn't, it doesn't appear in the I book. was just going to say, I don't think your name appears there. No, You're just doesn't. mom. <laughs> there was just this strange feeling I had. Like I didn't, I felt uncomfortable putting my own name in. So yeah. there's a lot of references to the mother, the mother said. <laughs> mother, mother. Anyway, right. so um, I don't know. Well, you probably do remember the last time that we spoke you were starting, just starting to write the little Duglings series of children's books. That's right. You wrote yeah. three of them, right? Mm-hmm. I Go to Jesus, yeah. A Gift of Myself, and All Things New. Um, so let's, I'd like to kind of go back to that. Why did you start writing books for children about, because it's your own children that you're writing about. That's right. Um, I had noticed at the time, and this was um, a few years ago, yeah, um, that there was a little bit of a void in, in the market at the time. And I was looking for... Um, books that were a bit more approachable and relatable. Um, we have so many beautiful Catholic books that are um, meant for children, intended for children about saints, and, and they're, mm-hmm. they're wonderful in terms of um, creating uh, a beautiful but almost stoic 
version, I guess, of the faith and something to aspire to. And so I was looking for content that my kids would relate to and, and to give them a sense of how they can live out their Catholic faith in, in a modern or contemporary world, what that looks like while still kind of being faithful to the truths and the richness of our faith. Mm-hmm. So I began with um, first trying to, I guess, find an anchor for the kids in our day and age because there's so much being thrown at them. And, and then I saw the anchor as being the Eucharist and right. trying to foster or teach our children to um, have a relationship with Christ in the Eucharist and to talk to him. Mm-hmm. as they would talk to a friend. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it began. And then with the success of that one, yeah. um, I started to write the others. And the second one was uh, a nod to Theology of the Body, mm-hmm. an introduction and the idea of the gift of self that and how you can foster that early mm-hmm. on in the home. Mm-hmm. And then that led to the third book, which is a really beautiful book on um, reconciliation and just talking about what type of things you confess, like how to... Um, I guess not be too nervous. Mm-hmm. Little kids get so nervous about it, so yeah. to try to make mm. it a more comfortable and joyful space for them. Yeah, and, Adult, uh, adults get nervous too. <laughs> <laughs> that's right; they get very nervous. And right. in fact, that's like most of my books actually are speaking to not only children, but yeah. they're, they're truths that speak to the hearts of, of the older crew too. Absolutely, and, absolutely. Now, those were sort of little children's books. Now, uh, yeah. as your children are getting older, it makes sense that the 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 the, the format of the stories gets older, if I can say that. So yeah. how did Mystic yeah. Informant come to me? So um, I actually sat down thinking I was writing the next installment of like children's picture yeah. books. Yeah, yeah. And this story started coming out. And it's, it was a very strange experience, but then I, I think I recognize that I'm growing with my children as well, mm-hmm. and, and I'm starting to have some little young teenagers, and and I think this was kind of a, in response to that. And uh, the story is fun, too, because I, I think we were all caught up in, in books that we loved, like The Chronicles of Narnia yeah. and Lord of the Rings and all those fun books, and I thought it would be really great to have a book that's explicitly Catholic, yeah. not necessarily allegorical, and... Mm-hmm. And I, I, I found it fun to to bring, I guess, my little dugglings on that journey. Yeah, absolutely. And you had the children help you write it? Um, I did in a way. They they became uh, because they're perfect. They're my target market. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So it was it was a different experience. It was an organic writing experience. Mm-hmm. So I would write a chapter or two, and then we'd all sit at the dining room table, like the oldest seven, mm-hmm. and I would read it, and I would just be gauging kind of their responses and. And um, just their excitement was, was very contagious at the time. And when we get to the end of a chapter, they'd be like, what happens next? And I'd be thinking, I have no idea. Okay, but did <laughs> so they give you... So it was like I was going on the adventure with them. Yeah, that's not... Yeah, did they give you suggestions or did they say, oh, I don't like that or... They you... definitely did. Or, yeah, or okay. they would say things like, oh, that's so what Angelica would say. Or, right, you know, so right, exactly. Yeah, and then if they found something like, oftentimes they're finding things in the book and like a key or something, and they mm-hmm. would be like, "What's that for?" And I'd be like, "I don't know." But then I would, I didn't want to disappoint them, so I'd have to really dive into what what did we all want that key to open? Right, right. And uh, and so that was a really interesting writing experience. Yeah, um, one of the main characters is Padre Pio. That's right. Why did you pick him? Is there a particular devotion, or is it because of his connection with? kind of the spiritual good and evil. He is absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah. He always has been. And, and I think even in writing this book, I'm like, it was written kind of with a nod to him, like, please mm-hmm. let me 
be considered one of your spiritual daughters. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wrote you a book. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm and pretty sure. he just has so many fun um, abilities that God graced him with that they're, in our, I guess in our culture, we're really into superheroes and things like that. And, and I thought, mm-hmm. we really need to, to introduce a lot of children to the incredible life of Padre Pio and mm-hmm. his abilities, because they're not only supernatural, but they're just... Um, affirming in faith as well yeah no it's it's great it's a great way to to, to learn about that saint and so many other things because there's so many like you said it's like the the catholic city can i say that is it's right. just sort of normal in this family in this story um you're not only the author but you're also the illustrator yes that's right and you did you were the illustrator for all the the little duggling series as well right yeah the, the, the storybooks yeah um, similar to uh I think G.K. Chesterton started mm-hmm. off really believing like he was an illustrator. Oh, really? <laughs> kind of, that was his love. And then uh, I think he almost discovered through illustrating that he was actually more of a writer. And then that was like a real gift. And I yeah. think it's a similar journey in my, in That's my case great. as well. Now, I would think that you probably don't have a lot of time to write. So how long did it take to <laughs> put this book together? It was surprisingly fast because of um, reading it with the children. Right. Because as soon as I'd finish, they'd be like, well, write the next chapter. Yeah, and I'd yeah, be yeah. like, I can't. I have to change the twins. I have to. And they were like, we'll do it. And so yeah. Oh, it that's was, great. Oh. It was an excellent way of motivating my kids good, to help out a little good. more so that I would have a little more free time to do things. So I'm sure that now they're asking for the next book, right? They are. As soon as we finish, they ask, um, when's, when's the next book coming out? And Oh, um, that's good. I'm looking forward to that then. Me too. We'll oh, see what happens. Fun. It's going to be see. another probably another adventure, another saint, yeah. another adventure. <laughs> anyway, uh, Carissa, that's all we have uh, time for right now. But I'm so glad you wrote the book because it was an excuse to to, to, to talk to you and uh, and I got to meet your family at mass the other day. Right. I, I have no idea how many kids I met or what no, their names we were definitely are. Definitely loud section. But in church. but you <laughs> took you took up like two pews. Yes, um, <laughs> um, it's so good to see you guys. Um, um, and I'm looking forward to the next book for sure. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. Carissa Douglas is the author and illustrator of the Little Douglings series. Her latest book is Mystic Informant, published by Scepter. You can purchase the book at scepterpublishers.org and you can learn more about Carissa's work and the family at littledouglings.com. And to listen to the full interview, in case you missed it, just go to our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Coming up is our featured artist of the week, Sarah Hart. So here she is with Far or Near from her new album, And Lovely It Is. Love, what is a thousand miles Between hearts that have been tethered I've been with you all the while
That was Sarah Hart with Far or Near from her album, And Lovely It Is. I don't think I need to introduce you to Sarah Hart. She comes on this program at least once a year, and that's because she's such a prolific songwriter, putting out a new album almost every year. Actually, I think pretty much every year. This year, she's released And Lovely It Is, a charming and fun album that we've been listening to. It is by far Sarah's happiest collection, 11 songs of hope and joy encouragement and love and to tell us more uh sarah hart joins me now sarah welcome back to the salt and light hour thank you my friend how have you been i'm so good so good i was we were sarah and i were joking before we went on the air that that we only get to i'm glad that she writes puts out an album once a year because i get to talk to her (laughs) once a year (laughs) once a year (laughs) at least once a year and then she reminds me that i just need to go down to nashville and then i can see her more often but Absolutely. She can or come I to Canada. To yeah, you need to come up to Toronto. Um, yep. Tell me something. So, um, I, I, and I think this this goes with with the idea that you're putting out so much music. And I know that this is what you do for a living. So I know you're songwriting all the time. But putting uh, putting an album together is not the same thing as just writing a whole bunch of songs, right? So what? It, no. How do you get to the point where you say, okay, I'm going to do a new album? Because I know you crowdfunded this one. So did you think yes. I'm going to do a fun, happy album, and or did you already have the songs? What was that process for you? So some of the songs I did already have. Um, there were about five that I'd written maybe within the last three years. Yeah. And, you know, I think when, when you're thinking about doing another recording, 
like I tend to try to let it happen organically so that I'm sort of looking at the body of work that I've been writing in the past year and just sort of saying, what is the common theme or what is something that might, that might be good to release. Uh-huh. And these five songs were just like really sort of fun, happy, lighthearted, loving songs I've written for family and friends, yeah. feel good things. And I thought, you know, why don't I do that? Cause I think we're in a time, especially in the States, you know, and there's a lot of struggle and a lot of sadness and a lot of, yeah. I would say depression and yeah. people are anxious and angry with one another. And so it sort of felt timely to put out an album about love and joy. And so that's kind of what I did. And I just sort of filled in the blanks against the songs that um, right. I already have. So far or near the song you just heard, yeah. I think that may have been the last or the second to last song that was written for, oh, really? um, for the recording. Yeah, yeah. Such a beautiful song. Thank you. I don't I even know. for my daughter when she I was won- going away. I wondered because, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because um, mm-hmm. it's such a beautiful song, and I don't know if it, it makes me happy or if it makes me sad. Maybe both, and that's good, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I started out sort of writing it about how much I travel, because I, I travel a lot, yeah. you know. And so I start, started writing it about that and how, you know, letting the girls know that when I'm gone, we're not really far apart. We're together because we're, you know, tethered to each other by this invisible string tied yeah. to each of our hearts. And so... We are together always, even though we're we're physically separated. But then when my daughter was like, "Hey, mom, I'm I'm gonna go work at Walt Disney World," I was like, "Oh, okay." And then it became so, a whole different thing, and yeah, I had to get used to the fact real, that yeah. she's far. You know, yeah. and that's, it's a weird time of life. It's a weird time of life. It is. It is, and we all go through it. Um, oh yes. It's interesting that you're so uh, we just just spoke to Kristen Marr. I don't know if you know. So she just put out a children's book. Oh, yeah. uh, Overcoming the shame game, the awfulizer. And yes. And and I think that goes to what you were saying, that there's so much mental health, so many mental health issues and bullying and anxiety and Mm -hmm. people dealing with shame, which is why Kristen wrote that book. But that your response and so was Kristen's right to write a book that's encouraging, that's fun. That's for kids, yeah. and you're doing this album that that really is just like completely the opposite of, um, of where so many people are, and I don't know why yeah. people don't see the beauty and the happiness and the joy of everything in life. Um, why did you decide yeah. to call it and 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 I struggle with this title all the time and <laughs> lovely. Thank you for laughing. And lovely yeah. it is. Why did you call and it that? It is. And lovely it well, is. Well, there's a song. There's a song with the lyric in it, and it says, "You have your own mind, darling, and lovely it is." So that's the the lyric that it's based on. But uh, it was sort of a. I wanted people to perceive it as a dot dot dot, and lovely it is. And uh-huh. I know that's a strange thing, but the concept being, you could put what what you perceive before those four words: life and lovely it is, mm. children and lovely it is marriage and lovely it is you know so there's so many things in life that are just really beautiful like yeah it's a hard world and there's stuff here but god has given us so much beauty and loveliness and things to celebrate on a daily basis and so i kind of wanted to leave that concept of what is lovely in your life up to somebody's own perception which is why i left that title kind of very just open you know no, and you're right. It's good, and that's what explains the and because I thought, why isn't it just called "Lovely"? It is, but mm-hmm. I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. And you said that each song or a lot of the songs were written for a particular family member or a friend. 
Oh yes, so all sorts of different, um, all sorts of different songs for different things that were happening or different situations we okay. found ourselves in. Yeah. Um, so just kind of depends on the song. <laughs> yeah. Well, you said far and near. You wrote for your daughter. Yes, um, both of them actually, but but really yeah. it ended up being so much about about my oldest because she was and leaving. Leaving. And, whew, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I do. I'm, I was going to say, I'm hoping that you wrote that for your husband. <laughs> or or uh, yeah. I was thinking your French boyfriend, because then you start speaking in French, and it's like, who is she <laughs> I doing to someone in French? <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I, I'm actually, okay, here's my thing. I'm really pretty good with languages. <laughs> I can do the accents, but I can't retain the information. So, okay. like, if you put it in front of me on a page, I'm very good at, at foreign accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love French and I've always loved the French language and I took it for two years in high school. And, yeah. you know, there were just a couple times on the record, it seemed like French was the thing to fall into. That's um, so And funny. this is one of those times, it's just a very romantic language, you know, and so um, I have a, a good friend that speaks French and I was like, can you help me translate this thing? So she did. And uh, that's what came out. You that's know? hilarious. So, that It is. Because yeah. you're right. It's like you're telling people like, I do, I do, I do love you. And the next thing you know, you're right. speaking French. Because <laughs> that's what happens. Well, what's so, and what's so funny about it, there's this line, um, baby, tu prends le gâteau, which is, uh, baby, you take the cake, of course, you know, yes, French. Pr- yes. And when, when she translated for me, she's like, what is this? <laughs> like, it makes no sense. It makes I'm like, no well, sense. it's just a, it's an English cliche. Like, hey, baby, you take the cake, and she's like, it has no no meaning in mean? French. I know <laughs> that's it. Nobody so, in the France is going to buy your album now. <laughs> I know. She's like, I will write it, but it is not sense. It is nonsense. <laughs> that's funny, but but then you have a whole song in French. I mean, c'est la vie. The whole song is in French. Yeah, pretty much, almost the whole song. Yeah, and that one came very easily. That's one of those that, like, yeah. I think I was just having a bad day, and I'm, I just started singing C'est la vie in my kitchen, and then I'm like, oh, i got to go write that down. So it was one of those. It but, is, and it's just fun. You know. There was something about, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I was listening to a lot of it, and, and there's something very musical theater about this album as well. Yeah. Is that just me? No, I grew up on musical theater, and I love musical theater, and I, yes, I love musicals. I feel like growing up in my house was like growing up inside of a musical because people were always <laughs> breaking out into song yeah. and I do the same thing. And so many times the songs, a lot of the songs on this record actually are just me opening my mouth yeah. and singing. And then I'm like, Oh, that's actually pretty good. Let me go write that down. Yeah. So, <laughs> How fun. It, is. it may feel like a musical. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I don't know. I like, we started the show playing uh, do no harm, which is not the most fun song, but it's a great message. Um, and you. we just heard far or near, and we're going to end the show with amazing that I that I think is like such a great sh- uh, song to end with. Um, so maybe people are not going to get the full fullness of the funness of this album from listening to this program. So I do encourage people to go to Sarah's website, sarahart.com. Um, it's on iTunes. It's on uh, probably anywhere where you get your music, Spotify, where I don't know where, Sarah, you put your music. Um, everywhere. Everywhere. So you can listen to, because C'est la vie is such a fun song and there's so many other fun tracks here that you just want to grab your honey and dance in the kitchen um, yes. while you're and making fondue. Actually, <laughs> yes. And if, if it's interest anybody, um, I have a Spotify playlist under my artist playlist. 
Okay. Called And Lovely It Is. So it's all the songs on my record, but a lot of songs that I love that sound like this record that sort of oh, fun me in the writing and choosing of these songs. So, uh, you know, stuff by Pink Martini and Michael Buble and just a whole bunch of other things mixed in with, with my recording. Okay, So there check you go. that out as well. Perfect. Yeah. There you go. So look up Sarah Hart uh, on Spotify. When you're looking for your Salt and Light Hour subscription on Spotify, look up Sarah Hart <laughs> and, uh, and uh, listen to her playlists because uh, she probably has good taste in music. I would say Sarah probably has <laughs> so 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 I so good taste in music anyway Sarah we're going to leave it there um, love the music as always uh, thank you for uh, thank, you. thank you for writing more music so that you can come talk to me on this show and uh, <laughs> and I'm sure okay I'm putting it on my on my list of making it down to Nashville at some point uh, for a barbecue please I that would be so wonderful right. I would just love to see you maybe yeah. I can crowdfund it People send me money so I can go to Nashville. <laughs> Why not? Everybody does. Yeah, it's exactly. The way exactly. to go. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Have a great, great rest of the week and a great rest thank of the year, you, I guess. Thank you, my brother. God bless. All right. God bless you. Talk soon. Bye. That was Sarah Hart. You can learn more about Sarah Hart and her music at her website, sarahhart.com. And to listen to the full interview or any part of this program, go to saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is Sarah Hart with Amazing from her newest album, And Lovely It Is. Don't let anybody tell you you're not amazing. Because you are amazing. And that's why I love you. listening to Sarah Hart with Amazing from her album And Lovely It Is. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website saltandlighttv.org in order to find out everything that you want to know about us and how to support our ministry. We cannot do what we do without your support. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Please write to me and say hello. Thank you for listening. I'm Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro, and thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour.